You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, we confront the reality of original sin and celebrate the truth that in Christ, God has taken away our condemnation. Today's going to be a little bit different. Um, You should have received a piece of paper. Um, If you're a note taker, uh, this will help you today. If you're not a note taker, then um, that's fine. Um, It's it's no problem. But we will be filling that out and looking at that today. Um, I wanted to talk about something that's um, just been on my heart, uh, something that I've been learning and diving into. Um, This is part of a bigger... um, set of ideas called spiritual uh, theology. Today we want to look at original sin and how it affects us and how we are still living with it, how we are still um, giving into what what Paul would call the flesh at times and and different things. So that's kind of the, the, the basis. And so why do I want to talk about what is the question or what is the motivation behind even talking about this, looking at this, um, why, why as Joe spent so much time at this, it's um, basically I, I'm trying to understand how do you, sitting there in the pew, um, it's been a very long time since I was one, one that, that sat in the pew, not only as a, maybe someone that was exploring my faith as do I want, you know, is this Christian, Christianity stuff is it real or what have you? Or maybe someone that's new in their faith or what have you. Um, so it, it's just been a desire. Uh, and it is also a good shepherding understanding of, okay, how do the people in the pew hear the word? How do you hear the word when you come in here every Sunday and, and someone, it doesn't have to be me or anytime that you open up your word, how do you hear the word? See, I, I have thousands and thousands of tools to help us understand what the word of God is saying but do we understand the humans that are hearing it? Okay, that, that was kind of what I'm trying to get at today and try to understand as, as, as we look at how different people hear it, even though there may be Christians or not Christians, but mainly I'm, I'm really focusing on those that are Christians, those that are striving to grow in grace and grow in Christ. This is a, a burden that I carry. Um, how do I help you grow in Christ? That's the purpose of the church. I think that's the purpose of the shepherd, the under-shepherd. Um, our shepherd is, is Christ, and I'm the under-shepherd. The, the whole thing that I do is try to help you grow in Christ. In fact, it goes one step further, which is even harder, is I think in Ephesians 4, it says that as a shepherd, my, my primary job is to help you help others grow in Christ. Because one of the ways that you will grow in Christ is if you're helping others grow in Christ. So exactly how does all that work? And, and, and how are we going to do that whenever, you know, we, we can put on a show. You know, I, I probably wouldn't be the guy that would be standing behind this pulpit if, if we were to put on a show every Sunday because I'm just not that guy. But if you want to get in the, in the foxhole, I'm your guy, right? Uh, I'll be there for you. And I will walk in the foxhole with you. So to look at and understand how different people hear the Word of God, 
Um, and as I was exploring uh, spiritual theology, you know, there's one very prominent person that, that talks about this. And, and any of you Kellerites will exactly know who I'm talking about, and that's Richard Lovelace. He's the president of the Gordon Cromwell. He's the one that, that, that gave Keller his spiritual theology, which you're going to, like, if you've listened to Keller at all, you're going to hear some of this as, as we talk today, because this is where it came from. So if you pull out your paper and the one with the two circles on it, we can fill that out first as we understand what Richard Lovelace would call the sanctification gap. And that would be what you put on the left-hand side with the two arrows. You write in sanctification gap. And what the sanctification gap is, is that every Sunday morning, you're come, or every time that you open up the Word, or you go to this, uh, your D group, or you're just in a spiritual conversation with someone about the Word of God, what you're hearing is the top circle, which is the ideal. So write in ideal in the top circle. The ideal is what the Word of God says. This is how we should live. This is how He created us. This is how things will go best for you in, in the kingdom of God. Right? It doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us what we need to know about the kingdom of God and how to live in the kingdom of God. This is the ideal. Now, down in the other circle, put you or me or whatever word you want to use. And so what Richard Lovelace says is that every single one of us, even though we've walked with the Lord for a month or we've walked for the Lord for 30 years, we know that there is a sanctification gap. We know that every one of us that walked in here today, that we are here, we hear the ideal, and we know that there's a gap there. Now, sometimes you might come in, and God has already been working on you for three months, six years, 20 years, about something that has been brought up by the Word of God that is the ideal. And, you're, and, and you know what that usually does? Is that service changes for you. That service is like... I'm just praising God. Why? Because you've walked through the valley. You've, you've closed that gap, right? That, that you were here and God moves you to the ideal. And now, in, in not perfectly, we never do anything perfectly, but, but eventually we are kind of living out, in many ways, the ideal. So within this gap, as people hear it, and this is many ways through Augustine's Confessions. This is Richard Lovelace. This is many different people. There seems to be a multitude of people that they have identified within this gap. The first person is, and you can write this on the, on the lines on the right, the first person is the excited Christian. We know we've all been the excited Christian, right? God saved us. He changed us, right? We're excited that all things are new. That this is wonderful. We, we go to church. We're in church. We go to every service. We do everything that it is. And we're just the excited Christian. And sometimes that lasts a month, a year, five years, whatever. But we're the excited Christian. We all have experienced that. If, if you're truly born again, you have experienced the excited Christian. And then you, you go down to the next one, and, I, you know, the best word maybe is the numb Christian. Or maybe the numb unbeliever. Because what they're saying here is, if you're numb, if you're sitting here today, and, 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 and I'm talking about you're here, the ideal here, and there's a sanctification gap, and you're like, I could care less about that, or I don't think that there's a gap. That, that probably means that the Holy Spirit isn't dwelling in you. Because that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. To show you that there's a sanctification gap. That's his purpose. He dwells inside of you to show you there's a gap. And God's purpose is to move you from where you are to the ideal. 
So there's the numb person. Now, the next three per people are the people that I'm really concerned about because I, I think this is many of you sitting here today. This is the many of you that, that I interact with that, you know, in many ways, I'm in this category. So the first person is they, they come in, right? They hear a sermon and there's an ideal present. Love God. Love your brothers and sisters. Um, love your wife. Uh, put off anger. Put off malice. You hear an ideal. And the first thing that you say, the first thing that you do is say, let's get to work. I can do that. I got to do better than that. Let's get to work. Right? That's, that's the first thing that you do. You, you say, got to get to work. Got to do better than that. Right? I'm going to work on that. Jesus died for me. Now, he told me to put off anger. Let's get to work. This person is not quite excited as the first person, but let's get after it. Really going to try hard. I'm going to do it. Right? So that's that person. And then right below that is the same thought as you hear the word of God. Let's get to work. But something's happening. So it's let's get to work slash burden. Wait a minute. Something's happening here. Something's happening with my Christian walk. Something's happening with, with what's going on with, with me and God. And, and when I come in and I hear the word or when I open the word or anytime I hear the word, it, the inside it is starting to feel like a burden. Because what it is is we come in, we hear the ideal, we say, let's get to work. I'm going to do this. And we don't. And it feels like a burden. Right? I've heard this before. Why can't I do this? Man, last year, this other passage taught us this. And, and, and back then I said, let's get to work. I'm going to do it. But, but I still struggle. I still struggle with anger. I still yell at my wife. I still struggle with this. I, I, I still don't love others as, as I should. Why can't I do this? Right? Man, the, the Christian life is beginning to feel like work. It's just work. Like carrying around a backpack. And every time we read the Bible or hear a sermon, it is like someone's just adding another rock to the backpack. Adding another rock to the backpack. Right? Something's not, not jiving here, right? Jesus said that, that my yoke is light and my burden is easy, but how come every time I come in and I hear the ideal and I see myself and I see the sanctification gap, how come I just feel this burden like, ah, oh, and you know what? We, we walk a little bit further and we live a little bit longer. And then the next one down is that let's get to work person. They become frustrated. Now you're frustrated. The frustrated person might even say that the gap is bigger than when they started their journey. Like you, you might have thought that you were here, the ideals here, but, but now you're so frustrated that maybe you think you're somewhere back here, that somehow you've regressed in your Christian walk. You're just, you're just frustrated, right? You might even say the gap is even bigger. This person will have a dialogue in their mind that's running as soon as they start hearing the ideal, as soon as the Word of God is, is preached or, the, or you open your Bible and, and, and read the Word of God, this dialogue is going on in their mind. Why am I not further? Why, why am I not further along? 
Why am I not further along in the Christian faith? Why, why am I still struggling with these things? Why, what is happening here? And then what happens is we get frustrated. Because we have said yes so many times. We've said yes to God so many times where we come in, we hear a sermon. This is, this is what the, the Word of God says that we are to do or to think or to be. And we say yes and we say yes and we say yes. But we're so frustrated because we think somehow we're, we're further back than we were, say, a year ago or 10 years ago or two months ago. And we're just frustrated. Nothing has changed. But... Let's get to work. It's our attitude. Let's get to work. I mean, this is what Luther would call, again, the weakness of the will. Right? How many of us this past week said, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and it just didn't happen? <laughs> the weakness of the will is very weak. Which actually leads us to the next person, and this is the person that I'm super concerned about, but they need to be addressed in a different way and that leads to despair it just leads to despair often someone who has walked with the Lord for a long time in their own strength despair leads them to convince, convincing themselves that the rivers of living water that's only for the pastor man that's only for the seminarian that's only for the super Christian and they're walking in despair they're walking in despair. And oftentimes what happens, especially with those that come in and they hear the idea and it's let's get to work. And, and then the, the let's get to work is really God doing something in their life. Because it's not always going to meant to be felt like if, it's, if you think of a bell curve that goes like this, right? God saves us and we're born again and we're all excited and we live that life and, 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 we're, and he's dealing with us as we are. And, and what we're going to show and what we're going to learn today is we all come into the Christian faith as moralists. That's what God's going to use. He's going to use your morality, right, to, to have you live for a while. And then all of a sudden, at some point in time, God's going to expose your hidden heart. And he's going to say, you're going to change this. Right? This, I, I want you to change this. And what it's going to feel like when he does that is, oh, God's gone. What happened to all the excitement? No, he just wants to change you. He wants to take you further. And many times we read that God doing that in our lives is, oh, there's something wrong with me. So we go back, oh, must try harder. Let's work harder. Or... Another reaction to this is this. I need to get back to the feelings I had back here at the beginning of my Christianity. There's something wrong with me because I don't have these certain feelings. And unfortunately, we have so many churches that all they do is want you to feel this right here. They don't want you to grow in Christ. They design everything so that you stay in this happy feeling. And you're all good and it's all good. That's not what God's desire is for you. It's not what his desire is for you at all. He wants, to, he wants to change you from one glory to another. And it's just amazing all the things that he has put in place to do that. And then the very last person, and we won't spend a whole lot of time on that because it needs a ton of unpacking, is a lot of times that many people, and you might have met some of these folks, they become the gentle Christian. This is what Kierkegaard calls the, the gentle Christian. This is the person who has given up on the life in Christ, and they have swapped it out for just being a nice person. Right? They, they stay home a lot. 
They, they, don't, they, don't make, they don't ruffle feathers. They're just the nice Christian, right? They, they're not worried about growth. They're, they come and they, they do their part. Yep, check the box. I was at church. Yep, I served. Yep, just a gentle Christian. I'm just going to be a nice person. This is what psychologists would say, this is a defense, right? This is, you've given up on everything, you've passed despair, and now this is just a psychological defense. And all a psychological defense is is anything you use to keep away painful self-awareness. That you've lived so long because you were, got to get to work, got to get to work. You've lived so long that you see all your failures. You see the gap in your life. And you've never gotten any closer. So you just become the gentle Christian. So what I want to focus in on today is that group of three that says, let's get to work. Let's get to work with a burden and let's get to work the frustrated Christian. Because I'm pretty sure I'm describing most all of you in some way. I know that describes me today. That's where we're at. And see, part of it is, yes, I'm not going to address blame. I'm just trying to show you how original sin has lead to that. That's what I want to show you today. This is the things that are happening inside of your hidden heart because of original sin, because of the fall. This is happening inside of you. And, and sometimes it rises up so fast that you can't even catch it. But this is what we want to look at. Today, I have a a great desire to grow. This is the person that is sitting here saying, you know, let's get to work and be used by God, yet often struggle with a secret great burden of guilt and shame. They are not as mature as they should be, that their lives are dry and withered at times. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. This group of people, I'm included in this, have a tendency to fall into moral temptation. We fall into moral temptation. Wait a minute, Joe. Wait a minute. I, I thought the tendency and everything that, that the church and the Bible is supposed to speak about is, is immorality, right? That's what we're trying to fix. No. I, I do believe that, that the Christian needs to repent of their righteousness far more than they have to repent of their unrighteousness. Because that's what keeps them from growing so that they stop the unrighteousness we got to lay down because we have a moral temptation to live in morality. See, this has happened ever since the Tower of Babel. If the world lived completely immorally, what did God do? He sent the flood, right? Everybody lived evil continuously. Send the flood. We saw a city in the Old Testament that lived Completely immorally, without any morals. What did God do? He sent fire and destroyed it. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So ever since the, the Tower of Babel, what we have found in, in, in church history is these ancient writings. These ancient writings to help us, to, to, to tell us what God's natural law is. Some of the people would call it, the reformers would call it common grace. Right, that, that God has designed things certain ways. He designed humans certain ways. And, and if you live within the way he designed things, things will go well for you. Right? We call them Proverbs. But they've been around since just after the, the Tower of Babel. And, and what Proverbs do is they tell you how to live within God's natural law. Now, the Proverbs we have in, in our Bible is all pointing us to the one of great wisdom, which is Jesus. If, if, 
ultimately. But this idea of moralism has been from the Tower of Babel. This tendency to live a moral life is the attempt of the hidden heart to try to perfect oneself in the power of self. That's Whenever I talk about morality, that's exactly what I'm using as my definition. The attempt of the hidden heart to try to perfect oneself in the power of self. Right? So many times we know, we, we just know, as, just as human beings, that if you live completely immorally, it just doesn't go well for you. Right? It also doesn't fit into what many of us are pursuing, which is the affluent life that America gives us and, and the good life and things like that. It just doesn't work out that way. If, you know, if, if your boss tells you, okay, Joe, I want you to do it X, Y, Z, and you just tell him, no, I'm not doing it that way. Well, you might get away with it the first time. But the second time he says, no, Joe, I want you to do X, Y, Z. No, I don't want to do that. You'll probably get fired. So we know that living out the immorality, right, that is within our hearts, it doesn't pay. So what happens is, is we, we stick it. We stuff it. <laughs> we stuff it inside and we don't say nothing. Unfortunately, social media is now... What I think happens is we stuff it and then we go to social media and, and let it go anyway, right? Um, it, it, it's just the way it seems to be happening. So we know that the temptation is not to live immorally. The temptation is to live morally, right? That's the tendency. It's to the tendency of the hidden heart to try to perfect oneself in the power of self. By the way... Brothers and sisters, this is what we are saved from. This is what we are saved from. Morality or being good is probably the most common human solution and seemingly effective way to avoid dealing with the problem of shame and guilt before God. That's how we deal with the problem. We be good people. We do good things. Now, I'm not saying the Christian should be truly the most moral person on the planet as they work towards Christ, right? But, but again, I'm, I'm using this morality as this idea is that, that it's within your own efforts that you're going to perfect yourself. I'm going to work on that. Let's get to work. See, we see from the very beginning in Adam and Eve, the human answer to sin and guilt was to cover shame and badness, and to hide from guilt and good, God, and blame others. That was from Adam and Eve. Cover your shame and badness, and hide from guilt and good, and blame others. And the number one way, and the number one easiest way to do so, right, to cover our shame, and to hide from God, is to be a moral person. Is to be a good person. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the prodigal son. Right? What was the older brother's issue? We know the other brother. We can identify the immorality, right? We can identify that the younger brother that went off and, and spent his money and ended up in the pigsty. We can identify that. But man, we sure do miss the older brother who was living in his own righteousness. He was being a good person. 
right? And what, I, what I'm arguing, what I'm about to argue is, is this is the way we hide from the guilt and shame that comes from original sin. Is we be good people. But that's what we're saved from. Right? Tim Keller would say it this way. There's a third way to live. It's not completely immorally and it's not morally. There's a third way and that's the gospel way. I know that some people get all bent out of shape because he says it that way. But that's a good way to say it. There is a Christian way to live. And it's not being a good person, morality. And it just dreads me that, that I know that because of the events of this past week, how much morality is going to be preached in churches today. It's sad. It's, we need the gospel. We need the spirit to lead us. We don't need to be taught how to be good people. We do that naturally because we're always hiding and covering from original sin. We need to come out of hiding. We need to repent of our righteousness, as Keller would say. I want us to look at this and see that exactly happened in the garden. Right? Genesis 3, 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. We're also going to be looking at Romans 5. I'm just going to read this. Not going to spend a whole lot of time here. You guys know this story well. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, Did you actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of the tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was the desire to make one wise, she took it, its fruit, and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes, here, here comes what I've been arguing, that all we do is we cover our shame and we hide from guilt. And it makes us all moralist because of original sin. Right? We hide and cover. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 7 is the first expression of shame between one another. And what shame is, is all know there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. And the funny thing is, is not too long ago, we read in the Bible, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They didn't think anything was wrong with them. But all of a sudden, because their eyes were open, because of this original sin, because of they disobeyed God, they didn't trust Him any longer. Now they're hiding. They're ducking for cover. They notice something is wrong with me. This is not good. They immediately go and try to cover their shame. And then we read in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they hid. Cover and hide. Cover and hide. Cover and hide. Verse 8, first experience of guilt, which is before God. That's what our guilt is. It's before God. And so what do, we, what do they do? They say, do they say, God, thank you. There's, there's something wrong. Just, just 10 minutes ago that, that we were naked and, and we were, didn't care that we were naked, but all of a sudden something went wrong. No. What did they do? They hid. They hid themselves. Oh, no. God, God you can't see me like this. You can't see me like this. 
we see the fundamental problem with all humans. Every human knows that something is wrong with them, so they cover. They cover. This is original sin. They cover and hide, cover and hide, cover and hide. So let's unpack this a little bit, and this is the other side of your, of your paper that you have. And, and I'll give you the headings. You can make notes or however you want to do this. But there's three elements of original sin. The first element is death. You'll see that there. There's two parts to death. There's a physical death, right? That, that the human spirit, the soul, that's what the Bible uses them both interchangeably, right? We are, two, we are body and soul, right? So that the spirit or the soul is separated from the body. So there, there's a great illustration from this, and most of you will get this, some of you won't get this. This is when the ancient one hits Dr. Strange. Boom, and what comes out? The soul or the spirit, right? That's exactly how we're designed. That's actually exactly who we are. Now, I'm not saying that the movie's portraying it exactly right. I'm just saying that it gives you a really good idea of, of what happened, that, that whenever we die, there's a separation that happens. There's separation that happens. Not only is there physical death, but there is spiritual death. In other words, the Spirit of God is taken away from the spirit of the human. Right? What that means is death in the Hebrew Scripture is idea of separation. Relationally, God is no longer present. Relationally, God is no longer present. God is still omnipotent, but He is no longer with Adam and Eve. We're talking about relationally. Right? There's a separation there. Old Testament theologians cannot say for certain whether Adam and Eve were filled with the Spirit or the Spirit impinged upon their life. But, it, but if you think of your heart, right? if you think of, of your soul or your spirit, that, that inside of you there was, there was the I, that's me, that's Joe, and then there was the Holy Spirit. Or you could say back then, right? Back then, let's use Adam and Eve since they're the ones that we're talking about. Adam, right, in his heart was Adam, the, the Adam that was him, and also the Holy Spirit. And then when death came, the Holy Spirit left. I know it's been, been used wrongly, but I, I think it's a good right idea that, yes, there is a hole left in the human being. There is a hole left in the human being. Adam could not have walked in relationship with God apart from the Spirit. The day you eat of the tree, you're going to die. The relational spirit will be taken away. So there's a hole. Every single one of us is born that way. And, and I want to show us from Romans 5 that everything that happened to Adam and Eve has happened to us because, as Nate said, there are our original parents. The day you eat of the tree, you're going to die. The relational spirit will be taken away. The way Aquinas um, puts it is when Adam loses the spirit, he loses original righteousness. In other words, you can't be in relationship with God unless you are righteous. So as the Spirit left him, because they sinned, the, the death came, the spiritual death came, then, then what happened to them is they've lost their original righteousness. They're, they're privileged to be in relationship with God. So objectively, which would be one of the headings that you have, what has happened? Objectively, what has happened? Relational life with God is removed from the spirit of man. We still have a human spirit, but now I am alone. You're alone. It's just you and you inside of there that you're arguing with all the time, right? This is how you were born. You are 
alone. I was not made to be alone. Not only did God declare that for Adam, which I can't get into all that, what that means and what the marriage means and, and how that all flushes out and everything. I don't, I don't have time to unpack that. But you were not made to be alone. You were designed to have the Spirit with you at all times. I was made to always have an indwelling person with me. I'm sure if we talk to our counselors today and, and we go to them and say, you know what? You know, I really believe that I have an indwelling person inside of me. They would probably like, Joe, we need to lay you down on the couch. You really think that there's somebody else living inside of you? Absolutely I do. He's called the Holy Spirit. God dwelling inside of me. Yes, I believe that. So what is our subjective experience because the Spirit has left, right? This is, this is, this is how we're all born. What is the subjective experience? Well, ex, somewhat theologians call existential loneliness. You were never meant to live by yourself. You were meant to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You're always to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. What we're going to learn... No, let me not get ahead of myself. Um, we're meant to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. By the way... Stop and think about this. This is the true meaning of Pentecost. This is God fixing this problem. He sends the Spirit. He sends the Spirit to dwell in His people. This is, this is what Pentecost fixed. This is Pentecost fixed part of the garden. Right? Now that the Spirit has come, He can dwell in His people. That's, that's what Pentecost fixed. So maybe you can put that out there on the right. How is this fixed? Through Pentecost. What is our sin tendency? So, okay, so this is how we're born. This is the hidden heart. Even for all of us that are sitting here born again, this is still happening. Why? Because we still live in the flesh. This is Romans 7, right? Why is it that I I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do I don't do? This This is Paul wrestling with this, life. So just because I'm talking about Adam and this inherited sin, don't think that this all has stopped for you sitting there as a Christian, because it has not. This is what I'm trying to understand so I can help you with the Bible so that you can grow in grace. This is, I'm trying to understand how this affects us, and it still affects us today because we are not as we once will be, as John has just taught us, right? What is our sin tendency? Well, we have this huge relation in the whole what do we do? We fill the hole. We fill the hole. We fill the hole. We fill the hole. That's called idolatry. We fill the hole. Fill the hole. There's your Christian life, right? That's everybody's life. We hide, cover, fill the hole. 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 So this ideology could be pleasure, it could be money, it could be materialism, it could be romance, lust, children, spouse, drugs, alcohol, food, whatever you want to put in there. We stuff the hole. We stuff the hole. We stuff the hole. We do this in an effort to cure our loneliness. We stuff the hole. Augustine said it this way, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So, we just went through a pandemic. Stop and think about this. Where coming out of it, 
one of the main topics that everyone's talking about is how lonely everybody feels. When you're confined to your house, you no longer can go and stuff the hole. So therefore, you're lonely. You feel lonely. Can't stuff the hole with all the things that I've been stuffing it with. This is Christian and non-Christian. Okay? We as Christians stuff the hole with stuff from this world all the time. All the time. And we need to learn how to live by the Spirit and allow Him to fill the hole. That's sanctification. That's closing the gap. Right? That's what's happening here. That's what happens in sanctification. So this becomes the immoral impulse side of ourselves that we can't control. Because we're stuffing the hole that has been left by the Spirit with so many things from this world, and then it gets out of control, and then we impulsively do something really that's, that we can't hide anymore, right? That's what's happening. And has this been brought forward? Well, Romans 5.12 says, yes, it has. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So has death spread? Has this death, this spiritual death that he's talking about, this, this separation from God, has this been spread throughout all men? Yes, God told us it has. All of us have this. All of us, right, this is how we were born. This is, this is the flesh that we wrestle with. And what we're trying to do, whenever you think of the third way, we're trying to live by the Spirit so that we're no longer stuffing the things of this world, that the Spirit, that our, our Spirit rests in Thee, in Him. So the first thing is death. The second thing is inherited corruption. Inherited corruption. So if you think of it like this, every single person is born with certain capacities. We all have certain capacities, right? I mean, the one picture that, that helped me out is if you draw a circle and you put, you put the eye in the center and if you draw lines out from it, that each of us have different capacities. We have a capacity to love. We have a capacity to hope. We have a capacity to think. We have a, a capacity to desire. We have a capacity to work, to read, to, to do all these things, right? So before the fall... What ordered all those capacities for Adam and Eve was the love of God. God is love, right? That's what we learned in 1 John. So what ordered all of these different capacities, right, so that they would do it righteously was the love of God because they were still connected to God. The Spirit was influencing them and and pouring out the love of God in their life. Was Was it human willpower? No, it was... The love of God. Remember when John said in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be was not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. See, when this day comes and we are in the new heaven and new earth, all your capacities will work righteously because of the love of God. That's what's going to happen. It isn't going to be because of your human effort. It's going to be because of the love of God. Love will have governed all of your capacities. 
See, your hope says, all I need is God. Your desires say, all I desire to do is please God. All your love is, I love God because he loved me. Calvin says, when the spirit was taken away, we lost this original righteousness. We lost this supply of love that so governed our capacities that we would live righteously before a righteous God. So what happens to every human when that love is taken away, whenever spiritual death happens, is all these capacities are starting to become disordered. They're no longer fully ordered by love. Now they have our effort weaved into them. Our hopes become distorted. Our love becomes distorted. There's at least distorted because the love of God is not there anymore. And don't get thrown off because I'm using this idea of the love of God here. You've heard this same idea said another way. The reformers talked about it all the time, and even Paul talked about it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The only way that you're going to do anything for the glory of God is if you do it in the love of God through the power of the Spirit, not the power of Joe. To live to the glory of God is to live in such a way that all your capacities are ordered by God's love. And see, the thing is, for most of us, because we live in a, in a moral society and, and we live as moral beings, you know, our disorders are just a little bit like this. Now, it, sometimes the disorders get all crazy. You know, like the, the hell's angel that's like, oh, tonight we're going to go bash heads. Yeah. Well, you're going to say, oh, man, he has some really disordered right, capacities. They're really disordered. But ours is just a little bit disordered because we live in this moral world that we don't notice them as much. So objectively, what has happened? Objectively, what has happened? We no longer have the Holy Spirit ordering our capacities in love. This disorder is pervasive, this disorder that every single capacity you have is pervasive. That's where we get the idea of total depravity or pervasive depravity. It affects every capacity you have. Original sin does. There's just not like a little bit of you that's not touched. That, that little bit of you that can cry out to God. No, no, no. It affects everything because you no longer have the spirit dwelling in you. It affects all of you. So what is our subjective experience? What is our subjective experience? It's shame. Experience or the self-awareness that something is wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Adam and Eve knew something was wrong. I felt fine five minutes ago. Now all of a sudden, something's wrong. The Holy Spirit's gone and, and now I want to cover. I want to cover. I want to cover. That is our sin tendency, is to cover. See, Adam and Eve are going to find their own cover. That's exactly what moralism is. We try to find our own cover. We try to find our own. Instead of calling on God, nope, I'm going to cover myself. I'm going to cover myself. Humans do not like this experience. Humans do not like the experience of shame. We don't like it. I'm not bad, I'm good. What are some of the covers that we use? Our job, our profession, our identity, 
I'm a good person? How many people have you witnessed to that, that it's like, okay, I can tell them the gospel. I know the gospel, but I can't convince them that they're pervasively depraved, right? I can't convince them of that because all they'll tell me is, I'm a good person, Joe. I'm a good person. Well, how much do we do that in our own Christian walk? I'm a good person. Ethics. I'm a blank, right? These are just roles in life. They're all coats that we wear to say, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'll give you a perfect example. We had living, when we lived on the avenue, we had this just absolutely play out right in front of us. Our neighbor, he lived, I'm going to share what sin he lived in, but man, he lived a good, moral, clean, so to speak, life that all buttoned up, all nice, right? But the, the one sin that he, he participated in would discredit him not to get into heaven, all right? So you have this person, and, and if you share the gospel with them, it's like, I'm a good person. That's okay. Now, three doors down, we had the, the, the crack house. <laughs> you know, the ones that, that was, you know, probably once a month, they would come in and raid it and everything else. Now, there's one dude that Charity befriended. Like, nobody, like, he comes out of his house, and everybody's out on their porches on the avenue. If you don't know where the avenue is, it's a bunch of townhouses, right? We're all connected. So, so he would come out, and he would, everyone would slowly go back in their house. It's not charity. She just, you're up the street. She goes, how you doing? And talks to him and everything like that. He knows what's going on in his life. Aren't they more open to the gospel than the person over here that has everything all buttoned up and is moral? Cover. We cover with, I'm a good person. We cover, we cover. That's the sin tendency. That is the sin tendency. And that has been brought forward. Romans 5, 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The third thing is inherited guilt. Inherited guilt. Objectively, what has happened? All humans have violated the righteousness of God. That's objectively what has happened. What is the subjective experience? Think of Adam and Eve. What did they do? When God stepped into the garden, they dove for cover. They were afraid. They were afraid of God. They didn't run and say, oh God, something happened. I need you. They ran in fear. So the sin tendency for our guilt is to hide. Hide and cover, hide and cover, filling, filling the heart, hide and cover. That's the three major sins of the human race. And what I'm arguing and what I'm trying to figure out is, is this is the default position of your heart, right? This is not your fault. (laughs) This is what you inherited, okay? So instead of how do I... How do I help you stop hiding and covering and filling your heart with the things of this world and help you to walk by the Spirit and, and have what He has done and who He is fill your heart? Have you come out of hiding, stop covering yourself so that God can do a work in you? That's, that's what I'm working on. This is why we, in our discipleship pathways, this is a part of our D groups where we, we gather together and we read the word and we talk about it and 
and we have a town and building questions, is it time for you to stop covering and stop hiding? And it's a time for you to admit to one another, what am I stuffing the hole with? What am I stuffing the hole with? Every human being does not want to see how much they are stuffing the hole, so we hide and cover. This is why we are so defensive. Stop and think about this. If, if you know this is how every single human being has been affected, every person that you bump into, every, every child that you birthed, everybody, every person you bumped into is dealing with this. Hiding, covering, stuffing. Doesn't it change the way you evangelize? Because now it's not about getting out the message. I'm going to thump you over the head with the message. It changes your evangelism because now you know what their problem is. They are hiding, they are covering, and they're stuffing. So maybe it's to build a relationship and to say, you know what? I used to stuff this hole that, that has been left in, in my life by, by original sin with X, Y, Z. And this is where I found, found hope and joy in what God has done for me. When you start evangelizing that way, whenever you can get to, the, to where the person is and what they're dealing with, because, you know, whenever you come at them and you say you're a Christian, well, whoops, the defenses are up, right? I'm a good person. Get away from me. I don't want to hear it. Because nobody wants to hear what the Bible says about sin. Nobody wants to hear about what original sin is and how it affects us. Why? Because we're busy hiding and covering and stuffing the hole. It really would change how we evangelize with people. We, we just enter into their world and, and, and what we do is we just make it okay for them to come out of hiding. We just make it okay for them to stop covering their shame. We, we make it okay for them to, to admit, you know what, this is what I, this is what I live for, this is, this is what I'm stuffing the hole that never satisfies, by the way. It changes everything about evangelism, I think. Maybe not. Maybe you have different ideas. I'd love to hear them. But this is why we are so defensive, right? What happens whenever Joe's wife comes and says, Joe, let me tell you your problem. Well, no, the defenses go up. Right? It's kind of like Star Trek. Raise the shields, right? She shoots a couple blasters at me and I throw a couple torpedoes at her, right? Because I'm defensive. This happens a lot in marriage, doesn't it? You know what? And the purpose of marriage is so that you can come out of hiding. So that you can come out of covering yourself. Because he gives you someone that you're so intimate with that you can share those things with you. But the problem is, is oftentimes what happens is we stuff our spouse in the hole. That's a whole other sermon. It's a whole other sermon. Has this been brought forward? This guilt? Well, yeah. Romans 5.16 says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That's guilt. But the free gift of flowing, following many trespasses brought justification. So, hiding, covering, filling. This is what our hearts do. This is what our hearts do. And it's because of the original sin. It's because of the fall. 
This is what our heart tendency is. Hide, cover, fill. And what comes out of that is moralism. Because we're trying real hard to perfect ourselves in the power of self. Now the problem with unpacking all of this is I don't have a three-step plan to fix it. There's no three-step plan to fix it. There, nobody does. The way out of living the moral life defined as trying to perfect oneself in the power of self is to come out of hiding. You've got to first come out of hiding before God. And you've got to understand that you have been justified. You no longer need to hide in cover. Christ took that away. He took it all on the cross. That's exactly what we'll do in a little bit when we take communion. Is remind ourselves that we could come out of hiding. We no longer have to cover ourselves. Why? Because Christ did it. Because we are in Him. We need to believe that we are justified. We need to truly believe that. And we need to be what Paul calls be filled with the Spirit. As I spoke a little bit about last week. This, this idea that, that being filled with the, with the Spirit is a command in a passive present tense. Meaning, it's a command that He's commanding all of us to do from now until eternity. Right? That we need to do it, but we need to do it passively. Well, how in the world do you do something passively? Well, the only way that I know from the, from the Word of God is to tap into the hole that has been filled called the Holy Spirit and allow Him to guide us. We learned a little bit about that yesterday in the discernment workshop. Is God speaking? All the time. He is speaking all the time. And so the only way that we do is we, is we come out of hiding we stop covering ourselves. And the only way we're going to do this is if we truly believe that we're justified. It doesn't matter what Nate thinks of me because I went to him and told him I'm struggling with this sin. It doesn't matter because I'm justified before God. It doesn't matter. It, it, we're justified. We got to believe that. And, and it's not so much about, okay, here's Jesus, he's the ideal, now we imitate him. Yes, there's some of that. But with the Reformers, and especially what Calvin really preached and talked about, is, is, it's not about imitating something, it's about participating in the new life. It's about participating in the new life. And that's exactly what Romans 8 is all about. Participating in the new life. So let me just end by reading this. And let the Spirit work in you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteousness requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. 
But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of, the, of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Can you cry today, Abba, Father? Maybe as we go to communion, maybe it's it's just, okay, Lord, it's not, I want to try harder. Maybe it's, what do you have for me, Lord? Spirit, work in me. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for who you are and, and how you have cared so much to fix the problem of original sin. Lord, you love us and you care for us. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I, I just pray that, that we, those who many times, many times say, let's get to work, will begin to, to lay that down, to come out of hiding, to stop covering, to ask the Lord, what am I stuffing? so that we may repent of those things and turn to him. May we go to him knowing that that he is our father and he loves us so very deeply. Lord, we just ask that you would help us do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.